Hello and welcome to Gentle Touch. This podcast is a place where people can learn, discover and upscale mentally, spiritually and emotionally. This show is all about breakthroughs so get ready for some good vibes, realness and lots of information. You will be joined by me, your podcast host Alejandra Castro. Some of the shows will be just me and other shows will have guests open up new perspectives and views. My passion is to inspire and educate people who feel stuck. I will show you ways you can improve your overall health by sharing powerful tools that you can implement into your daily life. Let's get started. In today's episode, we have Gemma. Gemma is a certified nutrition and health coach, as well as being a body image and food freedom coach. Gemma, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on Gentle Touch. Gemma, how's your journey been? Yeah, it's it's been a pretty big one, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, have been through, I feel like even in that introduction, I've been through quite a few iterations. I used to be more of a certified nutrition and health coach. Now I'm more the body image and the food freedom because that's where my passion lies. So pretty big journey, I, if you want me to go through it. I, where to start really <laughs> how how was the transition from the being the certified nutrition and health coach to now being the body image and freedom coach or does it all tie in I think it does all tie in but I think originally so what I studied was an advanced certificate of nutrition and health coaching so that's where that kind of title came from so originally I was I guess a little bit more focused on the quote-unquote health side of things but As I kind of went through and started coaching my clients, I realized what I'm actually really passionate about is working with women on their body image and also on finding food freedom. So intuitive eating, all of that type of thing, they're the things that really light me up, that really excite me. So for me, it was a bit of a kind of, I just didn't feel like certified nutrition and health coach really aligned for myself anymore. So I thought, I'm going to make up a title. I'm going to make up a new name. And I did. And it feels good now. I love it. I love it. For the people that are ish on body image, what can we say about body image and how it is, how important is it for our mental health for us to have a good, like, you know, to have, to look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, yes, I love you. I accept you. I value you. You look good regardless of the size, regardless of the weight, regardless of the stretch marks. I think it's one of the most important things for our mental health there is. And I don't think it's something that's covered enough when it comes to mental health. So for myself, I struggled with my body for 16 years of my life. From the time I was about 10 years old, I hated the way I looked in the mirror and I spent so much time and energy trying to change myself, thinking that's what would make me happy. And I know that's been the case for so many of my clients and the women that I speak to as well is we think that once we're a certain size or once we look a certain way, everything will be better. Everything will be good and we'll be happy in our lives. But in actual fact, that's not what happens because body image isn't actually about what you look like. That's one of my biggest messages I think I have to get across to people is we think that what we look like is the thing that affects our body image is the thing that affects how happy we are. But in actual fact, it's all in our head. So I think the best way to kind of demonstrate this, and you might be able to relate to this and your listeners might be able to relate to this is, you know, you have a time in your life where you're not happy in your body. Let's say it's when you're 18 years old. And then when you're 21, you look at a photo of yourself when you were 18 and you're like, are you joking? Look at me. I look amazing then. What was I complaining about? Now I look awful. And then you get to 25 and you look back at a photo at you at 21 and go, what was I thinking? How did I think I looked bad? I looked so good there and now I'm disgusting. 
that's proof that it's not about what you look like. Because if it was about what you look like, you would have been stoked at 18. You would have been happy when you were 21. But it's really all in our head. And that's also why a lot of people, you know, do whether it's losing the weight or, you know, getting, I don't know, abs, getting a bigger butt, whatever the popular thing is at the time. And we, you know, get there and that, yes, absolutely. There is some happiness that comes with that. I'm not going to say there never is, but it's not lasting. You realize that it actually hasn't changed your whole life. It hasn't made a big difference and your mental health can still be struggling. I know my mental health was at my absolute worst when I was at my like best looking, I suppose. Now I've, you know, put on probably 30 kilos since I was at my smallest and I'm a million times happier than then because I've done that work on my mindset and done that work on my body image. I love it. How does that tie with body acceptance? So body acceptance, first of all, I suppose there's body positivity and there's body acceptance. So the difference between those two things I think in a lot of people's eyes is people see body positivity as kind of like what you said before about always, you know, loving what you see. That's kind of, I think, what people think that body positivity is, is always being positive about the way you look, saying all bodies are beautiful, saying, you know, I love the way I look no matter what. Whereas body acceptance or body neutrality is the other term, that's more just about being okay with yourself, even if you don't necessarily like love the way you look. Like I'm not saying that I look in the mirror and I'm like, damn girl, you are so hot. You look amazing all the time. It's not about that. It's about just going, the way I look is actually not that important. The way I look is actually kind of the least interesting thing about me. Like I accept my body because it's not that big of a deal. I'm just happy. I'm more focused on who I am as a person rather than the way it looks and recognizing that, yeah, it's actually just not that important. So that's why I focus more on body acceptance and body neutrality than I do on the whole body positivity side of things, I suppose. I love that. I love that. For the person that may not know, what is food freedom? So food freedom is kind of as the name suggests, it's that sense of having freedom around food. And for a lot of people, we don't have that, particularly if you've always dieted or even if you haven't done like, I think when some people think of dieting, they think of the, you know, like specific diets like keto or, you know, paleo diet, Atkins, those kind of things. But even just having restriction around food. So whether that's you going, oh no, I can't eat McDonald's or, you know, I can't eat white potato. I always have to eat sweet potato, like, or thinking certain foods are good or bad. That's still diet culture. That's still in that kind of dieting side of things. So basically the way I look at it is if you've got rules for yourself, that's a diet. That's my opinion. I think if there's rules, it's a diet. And it's not to say that You have to eat, you know, every time chocolate pops into your head, you have to eat the chocolate. It's not about that. It's about just having the freedom to do so. So knowing that you're not bad if you're eating a certain food, knowing that you shouldn't feel guilt, you shouldn't feel shame, you shouldn't feel any of these emotions around food. And food freedom is just having that freedom to kind of eat what feels good for you right now. And that can be what feels good for you in terms of like what tastes good, what your brain wants, but it's also what feels good in your body. So if I ate pizza for every single meal, like past me would have wanted to because I love pizza I'm not going to feel good I'm probably going to feel pretty bad so it's about recognizing like what feels good in my body as well as what feels good in my mind in my taste buds in my stomach whatever we want to call it I love it I love it yeah what has been your experience with diet culture or your opinions or your views so I hate diet culture (laughs) 
Um, I like to say I would like to burn diet culture to the ground. My entire life's mission, and it's it's a pretty big one, I know, is to get rid of diet culture in the world. And I would be so happy to see that in my lifetime. It's something that I feel like as a society we're very, 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 very slowly inching towards. We're definitely getting better. Um, But basically my experience with diet culture is I started experiencing diet culture when I was probably a baby, the same as everyone really, because even if it's not you, you know, being put on a diet or your parents saying, no, you can't have ice cream or anything like that, we still get like societal messaging. So I don't know about you, but for me growing up, I had magazines with pictures of people like Jessica Simpson on the front, who was maybe like a size 10 going, oh my God, she's so fat. Look at her cellulite. Like the paparazzi used to try and get pictures of celebrities cellulite or them with, you know, rolls or something like that. And that just perpetuated this message from the time you're a little kid that this is not okay. You know, being bigger is not okay. Cellulite is not okay. But in actual fact, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. We're just told that they are. And that's what comes from diet culture. And the reason why this exists is because it makes money. So the diet industry is a $72 billion industry. And like that's, yeah, that statistic blows my mind. But it's also if diets worked, if what diet culture was selling us actually worked, we'd all do one diet and then we'd be done. Yeah, exactly. We'd all be be happy. And that's that's not what it is because if that worked, they'd stop making money. So, of course, they want to keep us in this cycle of doing a diet and then failing and we think we're the ones who failed, but we're not. It's the diet. They're designed to fail. So, yeah, I could probably rant about diet culture all day. And and there's so many and you see people just not resting from one diet and they're like bouncing from diet to diet and I'm like, I can't even keep up with you. Like, what? No, 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 I'm trying a different diet. No, 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 I'm trying this. And it's like, okay, but did you have a chance to just allow the body to rest, allow you just done something so intense? Now you're going into another one. What are your thoughts on calorie counting and my fitness pal? I don't like them. And the reason I don't like them is because Again, it's setting us up for failure. So for one thing, MyFitnessPal, I was someone who tracked things on MyFitnessPal for, I don't know, six, seven years probably. But, oh, it makes me angry. Like MyFitnessPal, you know how it gives you the little, you know. I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't even keep up with it. I I, I was just like, this is is intense. I can't keep up. To the the point where I saw... I saw someone actually buy a scale to the point where they were measuring a banana and you watch the YouTube videos and they measure the peanut butter. And I'm just like, this is slightly OCD. Like you're measuring a slice of banana, like give or take. It's like, you know, it it gets to the point where you're obsessive and I'm like, you need to relax. Exactly. I used to do the same. I used to wear everything. I used to wear spinach leaves thinking I couldn't have too many spinach leaves. Like, that blows that's insane really like but it's but that's the thing that's why I don't like counting calories and why I don't like my fitness pal because it gets people obsessed it makes you think it is really important to have everything down to the tiniest gram to have that you know if you go over by 100 calories you're going to put on 10 kilos like that's the mindset people get into so I just don't think it's helpful I don't think there's any need for the regular population to be counting calories I don't think there's any and I feel like it's a slightly different situation when it comes to things like athletes who, you know, need to hit like protein targets and stuff. I understand that. But for normal people, we don't need to do that. There is no reason why we need to count calories or why we need to weigh everything that goes into our mouths. 
Gemma, what is, for the person that doesn't know, what is intuitive eating? So intuitive eating is basically just about listening to your body. And for a lot of us, that feels scary or that feels a bit impossible, particularly if you are someone who's been dieting for a really long time. I know the biggest probably protest that people have when you start talking about intuitive eating is, oh no, if I was allowed to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and I listen to my body, I would eat pizza for every single meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I would never put a green thing in my mouth. That used to be me. I used to think that as well. But the thing is, once we stop restricting, which is what intuitive eating is about, taking away that restriction, we stop wanting to, you know, overindulge or to eat chocolate with every meal because our bodies don't actually want that. Our bodies don't actually like that. We need nutrients. We need to hit our, you know, vitamins, hit our minerals, all those kind of things. But when we're restricting constantly, it's like our body can't get those signals through. Our brain takes over and is like, you're taking away all the food, so eat as much of it as possible. So in the beginning, intuitive eating feels really hard when you do just start removing those restrictions. And that's why I think it's really important to work with someone when you do start intuitive eating because it can feel really scary. And if your nervous system is heightened and is saying we're not safe, no, no, no. It's like like overload, yeah. It is, it is. And it puts you in that like stress state and then you're like, oh, no, this isn't right for me. I can't do it. Sure, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And that's because you don't feel safe. So once you kind of get past that and you have, you do kind of go through a period in the beginning of going all out and just eating everything and that's okay because then you get through that and then you start hearing that actually my body doesn't want this. My body wants vegetables. And eventually get you get to a point where you can Start, we call it gentle nutrition. So start honoring your body with gentle nutrition and sometimes saying to yourself, like, for example, I've got right next to me, advent calendar chocolates. And I look at them and I'm like, I could eat those. But I'm like, actually, I don't really want those right now. I'll save them for when I really feel like them. And, you know, I'm I'm staying with my mom at the moment. I'm on holiday and, you know, she's always got ice cream and things. And it's like, oh, I could have ice cream. And then it's like, mm, do I really need ice cream now? No. And it's not a restrictive choice. It's a what does my body actually want right now, Choice? So that's what intuitive eating allows you to do. That's the beautiful thing to actually sit down and listen. Once we overcome the first bit, right? Because it's where like, oh, wow, no restrictions. This is amazing. What happens for, for the individual that's on a nine to five and is very structured? Like how, how do we go about that? How do you work around that when it's like, okay, you have to have break at this time. But it's like, no, I'm not hungry. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely something that a lot of people struggle with. It's something that I used to when I used to work in a nine to five kind of situation as well. So I think one thing people, one kind of misconception people have about intuitive eating is that it's a hunger and fullness diet. So, you know, there's this like kind of intuitive eating hunger scale that goes around. People have probably seen if they've seen intuitive eating where it's like, you know, if you're a three, you're like starting to get a bit hungry. If you're or yeah, getting a bit hungry. And then if you're a seven, you're like a good amount of full. If you're a 10, you're like way too full and can't function. So they say, you know, eat when you're three to a seven. But what happens if, yeah, it gets to one o'clock, that's your work break time. You're not hungry yet. You can still preventatively eat. So if you know your break is at one and you're not getting out of work till five, but you're not really hungry at one, you still know that by, I don't know, 2.30, you're going to get hungry. So you can still eat then, and you, that's still tuning into your body. It's still tuning into what your body needs. Maybe it's not what it needs right in this tiny second, but it's what it's going to need in an hour. It's what it's going to need overall. So you don't have to be bound by that really rigid, that like there's no rules for intuitive eating. So you don't need to be bound by you can only eat when you're hungry. You can eat 
you know, for whatever. And it's also just as well as the like reasons for I'm going to be hungry later on. You can also eat for like enjoyment as well. So if let's say your friend comes over and she drops in for coffee and she brings you a cupcake and you're like, I'm not hungry, but my friends brought me a cupcake. How nice. You can still eat the cupcake, even if you're not hungry, even if you don't, even if you're not like desperate for some sugar, that's fine. (laughs) You can still do it. So it's a very flexible kind of thing. There's no rules. There's no restrictions. There's no rigidity. Gemma, I saw your post um, about, can you focus on weight loss and intuitive eating? So yeah, such a big question. Such a big question. And this is definitely, this is my opinion only. I don't believe you can. I do believe that you can want to lose weight and learn to eat intuitively at the same time, because probably 99% of my clients do that. Most of them come to me and they go, I still want to lose weight. I don't want to want to lose weight, but I do. And that's normal because we're conditioned as a society to want to be a certain size, to want to be smaller for a lot of us. But I don't think you can focus on both at the same time because if you're focusing on weight loss or you're focusing on health even, if you're focusing on, you know, eating as many vegetables as possible, you can't lean in to those intuitive eating principles. There's principles for intuitive eating. So the first ones are things like making peace with food. It's getting rid of the labels about food being good or bad. It's allowing yourself to eat what you want basically in the beginning. And if you're focusing on weight loss at the same time as that, you can't. Yeah. They don't match up. Yeah. Like you can't do it. So in my opinion, you need to go all in on intuitive eating, have the great relationship with food. And for most people after that, they'll find that actually I'm not really focused on weight loss anymore. I've realized that my body is worthy exactly as it is. But then even if they do still want to lose weight, let's say it's for medical reasons, let's say they've got a medical condition that's, you know, they actually do need to lose some less, that happens less than people would think it does. But, you know, um, once you get to the point then of that gentle nutrition of being able to bring back some nutrition, then it might happen. But also our bodies, a lot of the time we have an unrealistic expectation of what they should look like and what our body's ideal size is. So for someone who has been, you know, one size for quite a long time, for example, maybe they are a small size that they're happy with, but they've been like having a very restrictive relationship with food. And then you start eating enough and you start having that freedom and you put on weight. That means you're meant to put on weight. That means your body's meant to be this bigger size. And that's the way that your body is comfortable at. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't think you can do them at the same time, but I think it is absolutely fine to want to lose weight. No judgment on anyone who does. Yeah. Gemma, how do we deal with cravings? What's your what's your journey been with cravings? Mm. So cravings, once you become an intuitive eater, yeah. like once you've worked your way through this progress, this process, they go away. I haven't had a craving in years. Really? However long I've been. Yeah. So since I learned to be an intuitive eater, I just don't get cravings anymore because cravings such a mental thing I think and a lot of the time it is that response to restriction if you tell yourself I'm not allowed chocolate mm-hmm. or I'm only allowed to have chocolate you know one Freddo frog a day yeah. or something like that then your brain's like well we're not allowed like if you tell you I feel like it's like we're children yes. you know you tell a kid they can't have something and they instantly want it more it's like that our brain's like oh I'm not allowed chocolate so I want chocolate more and I'm going to crave chocolate all the time so that's a big side of cravings. It's also a lot of the time our bodies crave those like energy dense food. So calories are a unit of energy. So it's why we often crave energy dense food is because we're not eating enough. We think we are, but we're not eating enough. So that's why our bodies crave, you know, maybe it's McDonald's yeah. or something like that. Cause it's 
a lot of energy. It's got a lot of calories. It's going to fuel us quickly. So that's why we crave that and not like an apple. Although like I think the other thing is cravings are very strong. Yeah. It's a really strong want for something. So I still have the like where I want something, where I feel like having something. Now I'm probably more likely to crave, but it's not a craving, want an apple than I am chocolate, for example. And I still love chocolate. I'm such a sweet tooth. But most of like right now, for example, I'm looking at this chocolate and thinking about an apple. I'm like, oh yeah, apple sounds good right now. That's what I'd prefer right now. That is amazing. (laughs) What about emotional eating? For the newbie that hasn't mastered intuitive eating and we're still on cravings and we're still on emotional eating, how can we explain what emotional eating is for the listeners? So I've actually got a free resource on this, which I'm happy to send you for your listeners if you'd like. But basically I've kind of got like five steps I like to work through when it comes to emotional eating. But the first thing is to recognize the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. Wow. I think that's, yeah, because a lot of people don't, we can't do that. And so physical hunger is gradual. That's the first part of it. You know, it slowly builds and builds and builds when you're physically hungry more than one thing sounds good to eat. So you'd be like, oh, yeah, I could have a sandwich. I could have pizza. Maybe I could have a salad, whatever. Like multiple things sound good. But if you're emotionally hungry, it's often straight away. Like you're not really hungry and then, bam, you're hungry and you're like, I need food right now. I need food right this instant. And you're also often craving one really specific thing. So maybe it's something as specific as like, I don't know, chicken nuggets. Or maybe it's more, I need something fried. So that's still specific still type of thing. So that's one of the first things with emotional eating. I think it's really important to recognize your triggers. So it's always going to be triggered by something and your triggers could be people. So maybe it's when you hang out with a certain friend, maybe it's places, maybe it's situations. So say when you've got like a performance review at work or something like that, or it could just be emotions. Anytime you feel stressed, you're reaching for the chocolate. Anytime you have a fight with your partner, that's when you're going for it. So once you've recognized those triggers, it's then working out, well, for one thing, what's the food giving me? Like, what am I actually seeking by eating? Am I seeking comfort? Am I seeking distraction? Am I seeking pleasure? Like, what is it? And then find something else that can give you that thing. Because food's not the only answer. There's always going to be something else. So maybe the thing that gives you that is calling your mum and having a phone conversation. Maybe it's cuddling your dog. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's dancing. So then starting to replace that. And I'm not saying that once you recognize that instantly it's fixed and you're never going to do it again. But when you practice, every single time you practice and you choose the you know phone call instead of the chocolate, you're proving to your brain, hey, actually, I don't need to eat emotionally. I don't need to choose the chocolate every time. I can choose something else. And this is just as satisfying and makes me feel just as good. So I don't think emotional eating is an awful thing. I think it's fine to eat emotionally sometimes. Like if I have a bad day, I'm still might get Uber Eats. That's fine because I don't do it every time. I've got other coping mechanisms. So I could do a whole episode on emotionally. I have done a whole episode of emotional eating on my podcast, but yeah, that's a brief overview. Nice. I love it. And then how, so, so we've touched on many little bits and pieces. How do we find balance with our food? So For me, balance comes in once you've worked through kind of all of that intuitive eating principles and things, when you get to the end and when you get to that kind of gentle nutrition phase. So there's 10 principles of intuitive eating and the last one is honoring your body with gentle nutrition. So yeah, so once you get there, that's when you can start bringing in a bit more 
I, I think the best way to describe it is discipline. Yeah. So where you're saying to yourself, okay, I've got at home, I've got leftover pizza or I've got roast veggies. And you're like, I could have the pizza. I could eat a whole pizza or I could have a piece of pizza and I could have a plate of roast veggies on the side because that's going to nourish my body more. But you can't get to that phase. You can't get to that balance phase until you've worked through the, you know, going all in phase. So most people get frustrated and they're like, no, I just want to be there now. But you can't, you can't skip the first steps. Exactly. Sometimes we do have to put in the work because it's what we learn through it, right? The mindset, mm-hmm. the resilience, the patience, the so that when we do things properly, then we won't fall back on the other things that we've just come out of. Do you meal prep? I do. Yeah. Not as I used to meal prep every single meal, okay. like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks for an entire week, but I don't do that anymore. I meal prep. I like to have things in my freezer yes. ready to go for you know, whenever I feel like it, but also with intuitive eating, like I think a lot of people have the misconception that you can't be an intuitive eater and meal prep because, you know, if you've planned all your food at the start of the week, what happens if you get there and then to your Tuesday night dinner and you're like, I don't want this. So that's why I've kind of got two ways I like to do it. I have other meals so that, you know, I can have that if I want it instead. Often I'll try and make, I maybe won't plan, you know, let's say I'm prepping for four days. I might not plan every single meal because then if it gets to the end of the week and I've, you know, had something different in the middle, then I can have that meal later or I make it things that I can freeze. So if I don't want it, put it in the freezer. I'm not wasting food. Um, But yeah, the other thing you can do is just prep parts of the meal. So sometimes I'll just like chop up a heap of veggies at the start of the week and make a bunch of different, you know, rice. I'm vegetarian. So for me, it's more just, you know, having eggs, having cheese or whatever. But I used to, you know, marinate some chicken cut up some steak or whatever and have that. So then it's like, okay, what do I want today? I can just take parts of each thing to create a meal. So there's so many ways you can do meal prep as an intuitive eater. I love it. I love it. I saw one of your posts and I saw how organized it was. So we have the three circles. We have mindset, nutrition, and commitment. For the mindset, we have Mm. confidence and self-love. For the nutrition, we have general nutrition, food freedom, intuitive eating. And for commitment, we have goal setting, accountability, and behavioral change. How does this all come together? So this is basically my model okay. that I've worked on to work with my one-on-one clients. Also, great research there. Well done finding that part. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's basically the model I've developed after working with all of my one-on-one yeah. clients. So I've realized that, so coaching is very uh, led by the client. It's not super structured or anything like that because it's all completely what each of my clients needs. But I kind of realized that those are the three main areas that I covered with all of my clients. That's what was kept coming up time and time and time again. And I realized that when we covered those three areas with those like smaller lessons inside and they did the work, every single one of them got the results they were looking for. Every single one of them had food and body freedom. So that's why those things I think tie in so well with each other and are so important. But the biggest one for me, I think is mindset. And that's the one I think that people aren't talking about. Yeah. People talk about food, people talk about body image, but like it's all very surface level yeah. and it's focused on just like, you know, the, the deepest thing that people tend to go into with mindset is like, oh, do some affirmations to make you love your body. I like affirmations, absolutely, but they're not going to change completely the way you feel about your body. So that's why I think doing the deep mindset work is the most important part and that's what I've really focused on. I've got a group coaching program called The Confidence Code. Yeah. And that's what I really focused on there is tying in food, body and mindset 
all together to really like go deep. And then the idea is that they never have to work on this or never have to like work with someone on this again because you've got all the tools, you've got all, it's basically like everything that I've learned over my own journey and over working with people in one like pretty little package. So all the good stuff without all of the, you know, other stuff that I had to work through and then realized wasn't actually that helpful. Wow, that's that's truly amazing because when we have a resource, resource like that, we become so efficient, we become so resourceful and it's like we're not looking for the answers. Everything is presented to us. Uh, do you have any tips for meal prep? I know you said maybe not do all of it but maybe just have some veggies or just in case you do intuitive eating and you don't feel like it. How did you go about your meal prep? So I think one of the big things with meal prep is that you can do as much or as little as you like. Yeah. So for some people... If they're like, oh, I want to get into meal prep, but they're not, a, you know, someone who prepares at all, yeah. that might feel really overwhelming and really like too much. So even just things like when you get home from the shops, wash and chop up all your veggies, like cut everything up. And then that time when it comes to like actually putting a meal together, you've got some things ready to go. So whether it's, you know, cooking up some rice and then freezing portions of it, definitely utilize your freezer. That's probably one of my biggest meal prep things have stuff in the freezer so that you've always got something ready to go but I'm a bit of a I love organization I love routine I love all that kind of stuff so for me I find it fun (laughs) I find meal prep really fun and it's so nice having it there ready to go for yourself so yeah I think use your freezer and have good containers like go and buy a nice Tupperware container. Do you have any particular ones you gravitate to? Glass ones, plastic ones, any particular ones? Look, I would love to say that I'm that person who has all the like nice pretty glass ones. I want them. But They're so heavy. Pretty- they are so heavy. <laughs> and they're more expensive. A couple of years ago for Christmas, my mum bought me a massive, massive tub full of all the different plastic like tonight like good plastic though Tupperware containers you could think of every size like five of each so mine are all plastic with the like color-coded lids wow <laughs> beautiful but yeah that was probably my favorite present from my mom that's great wow I love it yeah because once we do prepare then you're just like oh I've run out what do I do do I put it in a plate and then put the tin for you like how does this work uh, I saw your post getting naked in nature <laughs> yes yes So that was earlier this year. So basically this year, well, 2022, Mm -hmm. start of the year, I said, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone as much as possible during the year. And it's a big thing I preach. Like I I work on confidence with people a lot. So I thought, you know what? I need to go like next level confident to prove that I, you know, I walk the walk basically. Anything I'm teaching, I am doing myself because I'm not one of those coaches who wants to tell my clients to do stuff and then doesn't do it themselves. So I thought, What is the wildest thing that I can do that is way out of my comfort zone? And that was get completely naked in a public place in nature and have a photo shoot. So I booked a photo shoot and I'm someone who has never been, you know how like some girls like, you know, get changed in front of each other and like happy for their friends to see them naked or whatever. That's never been me, not me at all. So it was so out of my comfort zone. And it was the best experience ever. I had so much fun and it was just one of those moments of, I think one of the big things I talk about when it comes to confidence yeah. is act the way you want to feel. That's Ooh, one of my biggest confidence. Powerful. How, how, yeah. how, Gemma, how, what you said was very, very deep. How can we say it in a different way for just in case they didn't understand it? Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. it's so deep that you're like, oh yeah, yeah. And then you brush it off. But it's like, no, did you pay attention to that? 
Yeah. So act the way you want to feel. I think another way some people phrase yeah. it is fake it till you make okay, it. Yeah. We all know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. But I don't love that because I don't love that it implies that you're being fake, yeah. if that makes yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah. So really acting the way you want to feel is about thinking, well, so f- to use that example of that photo shoot, when I was starting that, when I was walking to the place with the photographer, yeah. I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? I don't, what, what, like basically thinking I'm insane. And I was really nervous and I was really scared. And then I thought in my head, okay, no, how do I want to feel right now? I was like, I want to feel confident. So I was like, all right, I'm going to act confident. I'm going to act like I don't care. So it was like stripping off and she's like, oh, do you want to put on a dressing gown to walk down there? And I was like, nah, let's go. This is going to be great. So acting. Wait, where was it? Was it a forest? Was it a lake? Because it looks very out in nature, the pictures I saw it. Yeah, so it was basically on a coastline, so up kind of on a hill above the beach and then we went down to the beach. But there was a walking path, like people walked past with their dogs. I don't know how many noticed me. There were houses like 100 metres away, so it wasn't like in the middle of nowhere. But then, you know, five minutes into acting like I was confident, I felt the most confident I've ever felt in my life. Wow. So that's what acting the way you want to feel is. You think about how do I want to show up in this situation and you just kind of pretend and then it becomes real really quickly. Amazing. Um, I saw another post, make small changes with big intentions. I really like this post. Yeah. So I'm not a big believer in doing some big overhaul yeah. of your life or what you want to do. And I think that's what most people do. And that's why a lot of the time we kind of fail when we're trying to implement something new. We try and change too much. So for me, it's about like, what's the big picture goal? And then what's one teeny, teeny, tiny baby step that I can take to get there and most of the time the steps that we think of when we talk about baby steps people still go too big so for example I had a client who wanted to run be able to run 10 kilometers that was her goal she used to be a runner but she wasn't anymore so she was couldn't make herself go for even one run she's like I can't do it I've just got this mental block and I was like cool I want you to run for 50 meters and she was like oh like sorry five kilometers and I'm like no no 50 meters that's all you're not allowed to run for anymore it's like do you think you can do that and she's like yeah of course I can do that but like so like you know I keep going though if I can and I'm like no no you're not allowed 50 meters and so that step was so stupidly small to her that she was like it's embarrassing if I don't do it like that would just be embarrassing so you do it and then the next day it was like okay go for 200 meters by the end of the week she was running three kilometers because it's just that getting started. It's just that baby step. So yeah, that's a big thing there is the small changes with big intentions is go stupidly small for your small change. I love and then that. that's going to lead to that big goal. I love that. I love that because there's so much intention. There's so much thought for it because you do something so small that it's like, okay, that's nothing. I can do that. But then it's, 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 it's the ripple effect that causes, okay, so you've done a little bit. Let's do another little bit. Let's do another baby step. Let's carry on walking. Maybe we can start jogging. Maybe we can start running. So it's just the build up to where we want to get to, right? That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that example. Um, I saw another post, a healthy outside starts from the inside. Mm, so like that's basically just saying mental health is so important to me and mindset like I was saying before mindset is the biggest part of it and if you are health so to use my own life as an example I used to be picture of health on the outside I was working out all the time eating really like healthily 
in everyone else's kind of eyes and my family, my friends thought I was this really healthy person, but I was struggling so badly on the inside. I hated myself. I had depression. I was anxious. I was really struggling with food on the inside as well and feeling really restricted. So when I look back, I'm like, I wasn't healthy then. I would call myself much healthier now, despite the fact that now, you know, I I still exercise quite a bit. I love exercise, but not as much as I did. I'm not as fit as I was. I, you know, like I said, I've put on quite a lot of weight since then, but I consider myself much healthier now because my inside is so much healthier. Nice. Do you do any embodiment practices? Like I saw, um, I was listening to another podcast and her mentor told her, stand naked in front of the mirror before you take a shower and just speak to yourself, appreciate yourself, love yourself. And then she was like, I couldn't even stand it. But towards the end, she started enjoying it. She she, she was like, yes, I feel comfortable now. Yeah, that's one of the practices that I teach all my clients. Yeah. I do the, I do, at first, I don't actually even get them to talk to themselves. I just get them to look at themselves because we don't, particularly if you don't like your body, most of us get out of the shower, we don't look at the mirror, we put the towel around us and we don't want to see. So the big thing with the mirror practice, that's what I call it, is just seeing, just looking at yourself and it takes that power out of your body where you think, oh my God, I hate my stomach. It's awful. And do the first time you're like, I hate this. This is the worst. But really quickly you start to realize, actually, this isn't a big deal. And it takes us really close to that body acceptance. So One thing I do get a lot of my clients to do is every time after that practice, they write down everything they saw that they liked. And the first day it might be nothing. Okay. (laughs) Second day it might be everything. Yes, for some people. Some people can do it the first day. Some people they don't. I've got some clients who are so deep into that self-hatred that they can't see anything. But once you've done it for a week, I've got clients who are like, yeah, I can write pages now that I like about myself because it's just building up and there's no – for some people it does, t- it's really quick. Yeah. For some people it takes longer. So there's no, you know, don't com- if you're doing this, don't compare yourself yeah, to anyone yeah, else, yeah. but it builds and it becomes easier and you start appreciating yourself even more. So that's something I used to do. I don't do it anymore because I don't really need You've to do aced it anymore. It. But Gemma's aced it. Aced it. <laughs> but it is one of my favorite, probably my favorite yeah. exercise that I get my clients to do. I think. And how, the, how long did you say? One minute. Or how, how long? I do five minutes. Oh, five minutes. Five, five minutes. Five minutes to begin with is a long time, Gemma. It's a long time. It's a long time. But that's the thing. Like if you do one minute, you're not really like. Concentrating. You're already already in your yeah. thoughts anyways from previously of whatever you was doing before you got to the point mm. where you are now. Andrea's looking at, yeah, it is true. It is true. And the first minute you're probably going to be critical. But after a while, it's like, all right, I've, I've seen all the stuff I hate. Like what else is going on? What else can I see? And like even things like looking out close at like your hands, yeah. like how magical we've got these like lines and you can see your veins yeah. and stuff like that, like these freckles. It's so cool. Like you start marveling at the human body. So if you're only doing it for a minute, you don't really have time to get into that headspace. Mm-hmm. But five minutes, you can start actually getting there. Powerful. I love it. Um, Gemma, what is your favorite book? That's such a good question. My favorite book, like my favorite like personal development book. Anything, whatever comes to mind. It could be nonfiction, um, non-development. Like if if you're not reading that much, you could even do a podcast. Mm, I mean, I love reading. I read a lot. That's why it's so hard because I've read so many good books. One of my, okay, my favorite personal development book is probably 
one of the first ones I ever read. It's called Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. Beautiful. So it's all about habits. I am such a habits nerd. I love them. Um, So for me, that was just one of the most, it's probably the book that I come back to the most in terms of like just tips for people, not even necessarily clients, like friends and things like that and come back for myself. And um, that's probably one of my all-time favorites. And then the first thing I thought of when you said that was just a fiction yeah. book. Probably the book that made me like had the biggest emotional impact on me in my life is My Sister's Keeper by Jodie Picoult. I can still remember reading it, the ending that, and bawling my eyes Is that eyes the out. one that they did the movie on? Yes. Yeah. But the movie, they changed the ending, which oh, was the best part. Okay. And so the movie, it was okay. But the book, I can still remember bawling my eyes yeah. out I was like 11 years old so that's my favorite. wow and your favorite movie <laughs> this is embarrassing my favorite movie of all time is Finding Nemo oh do you know what on the podcast you're like the second or third person that says that really yeah, yeah. that's so funny yeah I know right I like Finding Nemo I find it very sweet yeah. uh if you had a billboard on the side of the highway what would it say diet suck <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even think about that it came so quick no. I love it I love it I love it uh we didn't even touch on um you was you you was on diets right before and then you transitioned oh yeah like 16 years probably of some form of dieting yeah. knowing where you are now knowing to the younger version of you the the version that needed the healing the self-love um to be worked on is it 11 or 10 years old what advice would you give? Probably 10. ten. What advice would you give to your younger self? I think I would just tell her that changing your body isn't going to change how you feel about yourself. Yeah. So you need to work on yourself, what's going on inside, not what's going on outside. Yeah. But I'm also grateful that I went through what I did, and I actually wouldn't change it because otherwise I wouldn't be here yeah. and I wouldn't be doing this work. So yeah, I love it, Gemma. Tell us about you. Tell us about your services. Mm, so like we said before I'm a body image and food freedom coach I've currently got two ways to work with me so I work Mm one-on-one with women doing coaching on any of these kind of topics from body image food freedom mindset confidence habits all of that kind of stuff and then I've also got the confidence code which is my small group coaching program it's completely online doors are closed at the moment but we'll be opening up in the new year at some point And this one is basically to help you develop an unshakably healthy relationship with your body and with all foods. So finding that food freedom, finding that body freedom, finding that mindset freedom. And yeah, they're kind of my main two ways to work with me. But I've also got my own podcast, which is called Finding Freedom with Inspire Wellness, where I talk about all this stuff all the time, have some incredible guests on to talk about this stuff. So yeah, they're probably the best ways to find myself I love it Gemma would you ever write a book oh my god 100% that's on my list (laughs) one day one day at some point nice is there any way the listeners can connect with you tell us about your website your Instagram yeah so I mean best place to connect with me is probably Instagram which is inspire underscore underscore wellness and I'm always happy to have conversations in my dms on there so come and find me there but there's also a link in my bio to, I've got a whole lot of free resources. I love giving out freebies. So I've got resources on body image, on food. I've got resources on meal prep, like we talked about before, goal setting. So come and find me on Instagram and you'll find the link in my bio to freebies, to my website, where you can learn more about me. But 
come have a chat that's my favorite way I love it I love it and say for example anything I know one of the programs is closed at the moment and it will open up in the new year at some point do we have anything to look forward to any projects any more courses coming out so the confidence code is definitely my main one so you can join the wait list for that to be the first one to hear when it opens again in my link in bio in my Instagram Um, I am actually working on something, I can't tell you anymore just yet, but I've been working on something this morning, which will be coming out of the new year as well, which is a bit of a smaller one. So if you're someone who worries about what other people think about you, this one will be for you. Uh, But I do also offer free mini coaching sessions as well. So come and again, find me on Instagram if you want to book one of those and I can tell you which kind of option is best for you. I love it. Gemma, I just want to say, Gemma, where are you based? I should have asked you this in this, is it Tasmania? Yeah, yeah, I live in Tasmania in Australia. I'm currently in Melbourne for Christmas, but yeah, Tasmania. How far is it? Is it like four hours? From Tasmania to Melbourne. It's like an hour flight. Okay, that's not too bad. It's not, it's so close. It's nice. My family, I'm from Melbourne originally, so it means I get to come home. How come you move to Tasmania? It's beautiful. I just love it. It's, yeah, it's so beautiful. I love the nature. I love being, you know, near the water, near the mountains all the time. And it's slower. I don't like cities. I'm not a big city person. So slow living, that's I just interviewed someone and they said Tasmania is cold. Is it? It, Yes, but it's not that different to Melbourne. It's only a tiny bit colder than Melbourne. Everyone thinks it's freezing, but it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, Gem, I just wanted to say a great big massive thank you. Thank you for coming on Gentle Touch. Thank you for taking the time to allocate this time to come on. Thank you for being you and sharing your life and saying your truth as well. Because by you sharing your truth, you're working in your life's purpose, you're educating, inspiring, and helping the ladies, where it be body image, where it be diet culture, where it be um, meal prepping, just different tips and just different resources and different knowledge and information. Because sometimes when we get stuck on the things that society throws, at us it may not be suitable or sometimes we hurt ourselves doing certain things because we're like okay something's failing it's it's, it can't be that it's us and then we go into a spiral where we just hurt ourselves so I just wanted to say a great big massive thank you oh thank you thank you for saying that and thank you for having me and letting me share this message it's been such a good chat oh thank you you're the sweetest hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and found this podcast useful if you did be sure to leave a five-star review on apple Podcasts. thank you for listening and joining gentle touch i'll see you in the next episode want to get in touch feel free to send me a dm on instagram link is in the description Be sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you are on. Stay tuned and keep listening. Much love.